Hello guys. So the danger for you this morning is that I haven't preached in person for so long that I might just enjoy it so much that you just might be here for a long <laughs> I was googling last night um, we wanted to get a you know the bucket for one KFC anyone had a bucket for one um, really awesome but I was we, we're, we're going away on holiday today so we had like a busy crazy packing night last night and um, I wanted to go and get these buckets for once. I, was, I wanted to see if they've got like hot wings, like zingers or not, because you know we've got the kids. And then I saw one lady's comment was like, the saddest part of my day, I've got a bucket for one. Thinking about Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pray for us as we start. <laughs> it's taking heat there, Kev. Father, thank you. Thank you for your people gathered. Thank you for online still, for those who are far away, those who are vulnerable, those who couldn't be with us this morning. We bless your name for your people, Father. Thank you for these eight months, seven, eight months, where we've been reminded of the need for one another, Lord. We've been reminded what you mean when you, when you speak about the body and how every part works together. Lord, I've... I've felt discouraged at times. I've felt so down. And a lot of it is just I haven't met and haven't sung and haven't lifted my voice with others who love you and rubbed shoulders with them day after day, Father. And I'm so thankful for the online space that we've had, God, but it's so good to be back together. As we meet this morning, as we come to your word, I pray that you'd, as ever, make us obeyers of your word, Lord people who hear it and who respond in obedience rather than simply taking it on its intellectual value. We ask, Lord, that our lives would be characterized by going out week after week as we read your word, as we talk with friends, as we hear it preached in all of these discipleship spaces of our lives, Father, that as we go out from those spaces, we'd constantly be asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? How do I obey you? We ask this in your name. Amen and amen. So the question I'm going to ask us this morning, I'm going off our Jesus in Real Life series. I want to, I want to ask this question, and it might seem strange to you initially, but are you, are you hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit? It sounds very Pentecostal, very charismatic. Are you hungry for more? of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I think there's, there's, if you're a believer, there's probably two categories. One, you, you are and you know you are. You, you're crying out for more of the Spirit. You're saying, God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want to experience more of you, like the song we were singing just now. And, and, you, and that's wonderful. You're crying out for Him. But then I think there's a, a larger group who just aren't crying out for more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you aren't even aware. And so I'd like to just start off with some of the symptoms of, of what I think our lives look like when we are not walking increasingly in the Holy Spirit. And when we are crying out for the Spirit, our lives can still look like this. But do we, do we find ourselves powerless in the face of our own sin? I do. Gone around that mountain a thousand times. You know that rock, you know that tree, you know it's so familiar because you've been around it so many times. I do. And the scripture teaches us that we walk with the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, and I say, how God, how do I do that in my life? I want to, but there's so many times where I feel unable to conquer sin in my life. I feel impatience rushes in, anxiety rushes in, and I, I see, I, I read, and I understand what Scripture says where, where it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And so I look and I say, well, patience, but I'm impatient. Peace, but I'm anxious. It's just me. Man, but... If you're like me, there's something in your heart that, that longs for it. Even though you can't quite put the pieces together and you don't quite know why it's not working, your heart, you long for it. Or you, maybe, maybe a symptom for you is that you, you understand how important it is. We've just done Alpha for crying out loud. You, know, you understand how important it is to share your faith with others. And maybe you sit at a table with a friend or you, you're with somebody who's good at this and you watch them and, and you part embarrassed 
because they're just like going for it about Jesus. And if we're honest, there's a part of us that's a little bit like, oh, I'm a little bit awkward right now. But another part of us is envious of their courage. And, I, and you just think, God, why don't I have that courage when it comes to my friends or the guys I cycle with or the people I'm at university with or whatever your arena is? You say, God, I, I, I have those situations, but in them I'm gripped by fear. I don't feel like I can share my faith with anybody around me. Another symptom, I was speaking to one of my sisters last night on the, on the phone. I have a lot of sisters um, and I was speaking to her on the phone, and she was just telling me how she's struggling with fear right now. Like just with everything going on in the world, and my family are quite uh, apocalyptic, uh, a lot about the end times, a lot about the end of the world, a lot about the vaccine that's coming in the 666 mark. And I mean, I grew up on this, and my sister is terrified. She's terrified. <laughs> and I was just trying to speak to her and say, my girl, this is not from Jesus. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. This is meant to be something which delights us. Jesus is coming back for us. Yes. Not like I'm terrified. I want to hide under my bed. Please let me just go now so it's ended. You know? If those things are going on in your heart, what you don't realize is that you're longing for more of the Spirit. That's what we're actually longing for. When we're longing to share our faith and we feel that we can't, when we're fighting our sin and we feel like we can't have victory in our sin, we're actually longing for the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I'm going to read quite a lot of scriptures this morning and I want to take us on a little bit of a journey. So stick with me. Um, turn with me in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, let's go to John 13. We'll read quite a few scriptures out of John, so keep your finger in the book of John, but go to John chapter 13 and verse 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples. If you don't have a Bible, it'll come up behind me. It's already up behind me, but I do really recommend following in your Bible so you get familiar with it. John 13, 33, Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer terrifying verse my children i'll be with you only a little longer one of my one of my boys has a um shall we say a more a more eeyore personality by by default and often he he's his last words to me before i go to bed or dad please don't die and i started saying to my boy please don't say that <laughs> and uh, and we we laugh about it and we we're talking it through but like, this is the fear, right? My child, I'll only be with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now flip a few pages forward and go to John 16. And from verse 4, look at what Jesus says here. He says, so you've, got, you've logged the first one. I'm just going to be with you a little bit longer, guys, and then I'm going somewhere and... John 16, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. So repeat, right? I'm going to be with you a little bit longer. I'm going away. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. So you're not even asking me like, Jesus, tell us about this place you're going to. Tell me where you... No, you just use that grieving these disciples are grieving. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. The ESV says it's to your advantage. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that's a word for the, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter. Any of those words would fit there in that word advocates. Now, how do we make sense of Jesus turning to his disciples and saying, I'm going to go away, and them being full of grief, so full of grief that they aren't even saying, Jesus, where are you going? They just, they just focused on this grief. I want to take you through the Holy Spirit through the ages in the Old Testament, and we'll get there quite quickly, so stay with me. But the, the presence of God, to help us make sense, the presence of God in the Old Testament is seen very clearly through the nation of Israel. 
There's the Israelite people. We see the Holy Spirit falling all the time, right, in the Old Testament, falling on individuals. So he falls on David. The Spirit empowers him for a season. Falls on Samson. Falls on Deborah. Falls on Moses, Joshua, all these people. But the, the mark in the Old Testament is that the Spirit falls for a season and then lifts. And falls and lifts. He never stays on anyone. So then we come to Moses, maybe the the best known kind of prefiguring of Jesus. If you think about Moses taking people out of captivity, what does Jesus do? Take us out of captivity. Think about Moses leading the people through the water. Many, many commentators speak about that being a kind of parallel to water baptism. Through the waters, through the waters of, of, of baptism they go in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament. Now, there's a section in, in Exodus chapter 33 where God is, is really upset again with the Israelite people and with their stubbornness. And he basically says to Moses, I'll read it for you here, verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses is speaking about God, you say you know my name. You say you, and he speaks, it's an individual thing. And he says, but Lord, then he replies, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Now listen to this verse. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples in the face of the earth? So the presence of God, Moses says to God, this is what distinguishes us. What's different about the way you do your finances? What's different about the way you run your marriage? What's different about any aspect of your life? Surely it must be this, same as Moses. Lord, it's your presence that distinguishes us from those that we're on campus with or from those that we work with or from those who we know, even those who have good marriages who don't know you. There's something different about ours because we have your presence. Now, that's another whole preach, but I'm trying to show you the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And Moses is saying, you have to go with us. It's not okay that you just come with me. You have to go with us. Otherwise, there's nothing to distinguish us. Exodus 40, verse 33, when you, when you really step back and read what's happening in Exodus 40, 33, it's, it's an incredible marvel the presence of God comes down in a cloud and dwells in a tent, the tabernacle, made by human hands. That's what goes on in that section. He comes down and literally tents among the tents of his people. There's over a million Israelites in their tents. And God says, build me a tent. I'm going to come down and I'm going to live among you. The presence of God. Now that shifts dramatically as we come into the New Testament. It's no longer a cloud, it's a person. It's a person in the person of Jesus. I mean, it's, guys, I, I get so blasé about this reading the Bible and I grew up in a Christian home. God with us. You don't even need to know about my life. Just think about your own life, and I'll think about my own life. And that's a marvelous mystery that God would come on this brokenness, would come into this sinfulness, into this life. You know, the beautiful word, Emmanuel, the name for Jesus. We love singing it at Christmas time, but it's a profound, profound name for God. God with us. Hebrews 1 says it like this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. In other words, there was a lot of ways to hear about God. There was lots of different channels, lots of different voices. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe, just incidentally. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things and on it carries. In other words, Jesus is the exegesis of the father. Now, that's a big word to, we use to say we exegete the word of God. We, we explain what the Bible means. Every Sunday, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to interpret 
what the word of God means. Now, what that scripture is saying is that Jesus was the interpretation. He was the exegesis of the Father. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. In every way, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. That's amazing. Is it just me getting excited about this? Because I've been in it all week, maybe, you know. But then the reality is now, so there's this cloud, and the cloud is on the Israelite people, but then the cloud becomes a person, and now the person is living among them. This is the third kind of transition in the, in the spirit. Jesus now lives among his disciples. So if you want to know what God's attitude is towards sinners, you look at Jesus. The exact representation of God the Father. If you want to know what his, his attitude is toward people who doubt him and who struggle to believe, even when they've had evidence put in front of them, you go and you look at Thomas and how Jesus responded to him and, and other doubters that you see. He's the exact representation. If you want to see how Jesus responds to children, to religious bigots, to anyone, you go and you look at Jesus and you understand God. He explains God to him. And then John, the same who wrote the book of John, writes 1 John, the disciple of Jesus who was loved. John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, this is an incredible thing. This which was from the beginning, which we have heard. In other words, we didn't just hear about it. Like we've just, we've heard about it. We've read about it. No, John says, we've heard him. We've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you. Can you imagine what it must have been like to walk with Jesus day after day? Imagine, imagine just like in a typical day, a typical few days, Jesus decides he's going to walk up the mountain. So you start walking up the mountain, and as you walk up the mountain, people hear, oh, there's Jesus, there's his disciples, let's go. And they start following you up the mountain, and then he begins to heal, and he heals indiscriminately. Just people are being healed everywhere. Dead people are coming to life, all sorts of things that Jesus does through his ministry. And then they sleep up on the mountain that night, and Jesus is teaching them these beautiful, profound things. After a few days, the people are starving. Jesus just takes some some loaves and some bread and he breaks it and feeds 4,000 or 5,000 at a different time. I mean, can you imagine actually walking with Jesus and the confidence that must have been flowing through your veins? Where you're like, oh yeah, we're going into town. We got Jesus. There's nothing that comes across his path that he's not able to deal with. They try to kill him. He just walks through the crowd. They try to question him. He answers them. They're dumbfounded. They walk away. They don't know what to say. They look like idiots. Everything, and then, this is critical, the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus and never departs. It's not like the Old Testament prophets. He's not like the Old Testament kings. The Holy Spirit falls on Jesus and never departs. John, the, John the baptizer, says of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, the people were waiting expecting, expectantly and we're all wondering if their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. Is this the one? Is this the one? John answered them and he said, and just hear, hear the tone, right? It's not here. I think it is here, but it's not here. I baptize you with water, guys. I, I'm, just, I'm just fiddling around with H2O. I'm just baptizing with like, like an earthly thing. We just go to a river and I baptize you. And I'm not undermining water baptism. It's, it's a beautiful part of, of the scriptures. But John carries on. One who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, guys. I'm not the Messiah. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Guys, I'm, I'm just baptizing with water. He's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to baptize you with fire. And the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus not only receives the Spirit, and the Spirit never leaves him, but Jesus becomes the channel through whom every other baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. See what John is saying? I baptize you with water, but one is coming. Who's that? That's Jesus, and he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And so from Jesus baptisms happen. And now into that, Jesus speaks the words where we began. 
in John chapter 13, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Jesus, what do you mean? Jesus, we've been walking with you. We've seen you do all these things. You're going to be the new king of Israel. What do you mean, Jesus? You're going to be with us only a little bit longer. Can you imagine the panic? Do you understand now the grief in John 16? Rather, you are filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly, I say to you, it's good for you. It's better for you that I'm going away. How can you say that, Jesus? How can you possibly say that? Because unless I go away, the Advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Or if you flip a little bit back this way to John 14, you'll see Jesus says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the context is, here's the context, I will ask the Father and he will give you another Advocate, another Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him, sees him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is how William Hendrickson, who's an old commentator speaks about this verse he says what jesus means is my departure will not be like that of a son whose children are left as orphans when he dies in the spirit i myself am coming back to you when the spirit is poured out christ himself truly returns thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left orphans. So are you, are you following with me? Am I, am I losing you or are we still there? So presence of God, the cloud, presence of God falling on people, leaving people. Jesus comes, God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. The Spirit of God falls on him, never leaves him. John says through him, baptisms will happen. Holy Spirit baptisms will happen through Jesus. He will baptize you in fire. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm never going to... This thing's bothering me. Is it bothering you? Now it is. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you. And he says, I'm only going to be with you a little bit longer. But he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like Jesus is, is, is back with us. He's among us. And it's better for us that Jesus goes. Now, to understand that, you, you need to go to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, the author is Luke, right? The, 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 the Dr. Luke is busy writing Acts chapter 1. He's just finished writing the book of Luke. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1. The first account I composed about the, all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is post the death of Jesus. The first account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach, implying that Jesus continues. This is what John Stott, the very famous theologian, says about those verses. He says, Luke's first two verses are therefore extremely significant. It is no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime. Luke says, Jesus only began his. It's profound, eh? I want to skip some of this just for time. Let me go here. Why is this so important? Why is what I'm preaching this morning so vital? If I'm honest, I have a fear in my heart. It feels like a godly fear and a, and a godly anxiety as a shepherd in God's house. One of many shepherds around our town and one of millions of shepherds around the world. I have a fear that we living carnal, worldly lives, even believers. I have an anxiety in my heart that we, I don't know if that's the right word, there should be a far more positive word for that, but that we, we don't know 
what is available to us. This, this line of the Holy Spirit coming through Israel, the cloud coming in Jesus, being baptized, Jesus being baptized, being poured out on the disciples later on. I don't think we live with the sense of, of the Spirit in our lives taking us from strength to strength to strength. I think so many of us are, are not even aware that there's so much more for us. And when I say there's more for us, I'm not talking about more Bible study. I'm not talking about more intellectualism. I'm not talking about more acquiring of the facts of Jesus Christ. And, and guys, you know my heart. You know how I love the Word of God. You know how we love Bible studies in this church. I'm not against those things for a single second. But there's more. There's so much more for us than simply the Western idea of accumulating more and more facts and knowledge. John Piper says, that's the stereotypical way of thinking about Christianity. We have a list of doctrines. We have a list of behaviors. We believe the doctrines. We do the behaviors. And we infer that we belong to God and that something supernatural is happening, but nobody experiences anything. Does anybody else think that could explain my life? I believe the doctrines. I do the behavior. I try to convince myself that something supernatural is happening. But when I really look into my life, I see so little evidence of the experience of the Holy Spirit in and through my life and my family and in my workplace and in my witness and in everything else. And then he carries on. He's actually commenting here about Pentecostalism. And he says that's why Pentecostalism is succeeding the way it does. Because they write on this. They write to say that to have the Holy Spirit is to have a reality that one experiences. To have the Holy Spirit is not something, the Holy Spirit in the baptism sense, in the Luke 3 sense, in, in Luke saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming, who has baptized you with fire, with the Holy Spirit. To have that kind of Holy Spirit is not something deep in our hearts that we can't feel. It's not something that we aren't sure if we really have Him. We don't know. We just receive Him by faith. Now, I want to be extremely careful on this point because this is a, a contentious and a confusing point. So let me be really as crystal clear as I can here. Hear me now carefully. You cannot have salvation without the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear. Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All right, so let's be extremely clear. We must understand that salvation comes through the Spirit of God alone. We cannot have it without the Spirit. In other words, let me put it like this. There are no Christians who do not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if that's you and you're listening to this preach and you think, is he saying I don't have the Holy Spirit? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But now what? So that's, is that clear? Okay. You have the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to help us away from is what I believe is the incorrect teaching that at salvation we always everybody receive all of the Holy Spirit all that we're going to receive him and that we don't need to seek him for more to cry out for more to ask him to keep on filling us and filling us and and here belief very much leads the practice because if you believe you have it all why seek for more if you have it all at salvation, then why, why ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again and again or again? So let me not just ramble on about why I believe that. Let me show you in scriptures and let me do it by asking you a question. From, from what we've been reading this morning, were the disciples saved before Pentecost? So we know Pentecost, Acts chapter 1 and 2, explains there was this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. Let me ask you, were they saved before that? If so, if you say yes, they were, then we already established that they have the Holy Spirit, right? So then what are they receiving if you have it all? What are they getting? That's the question. How did they receive Him again at Pentecost. So the only, the only logical conclusion, if you want to hold the standpoint that we receive them all at salvation, is that they weren't saved yet. That they weren't saved yet. That Pentecost was the true salvation moment for the disciples. Now let me 
into that question, let me read the end of Luke, who also wrote Acts. Luke 24, he says in verse 52, then they worshipped him. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, I'm a simple person. (laughs) I really am. And when I read that, you've got to, you're going to have to do some hard work to explain to me that these are not men and women who are saved. These are men and women. When when men and women are worshipping God and they returning to Jerusalem with great joy in their hearts and they stay continually at the temple praising God, I find it very difficult to believe that these are not regenerate, born again, have the Holy Spirit already living inside of them, born again believers in Jesus Christ. But then Jesus himself, now the same author who just wrote that in Acts chapter 1, writes to them, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus speaking and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem to the same group of people, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then he goes back to what was said in Luke chapter 3, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by or with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? If you go to Acts chapter 4, This is another compelling place to see it. If you go to Acts chapter 4, you see Pentecost happen. Peter, all the disciples are there. And then all of a sudden, persecution breaks out against the church. Let's go there quickly. Go with me to Acts chapter 4. Now, I'll I'll read the tiny little piece for you because it's much more powerful than my paraphrase. Go to Acts 4 in your Bibles. It's not going to come up on the screen. Right down the bottom, verse 23. So Peter... Peter and John have been beaten. They've been before the Sanhedrin. They come back. There's a a prayer meeting happening. People are praying for their release. And then it says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting, this is verse 31, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now we know for a fact that at least Peter and John were part of the initial outpouring of the Spirit in Pentecost. Now here we see them again in Acts chapter 4 being filled again with the Holy Spirit. Go to the the text that Sarah just read so beautifully in the worship, Ephesians chapter 1. And look at this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so who's he writing to? Unbelievers or believers? Why? Because they have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to them. And your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. In other words, I want you to keep receiving more of the Spirit. I want you to grow in the Spirit. It's not a one-time experience. We grow in the Spirit. Let me keep on reading it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. But I thought we already knew the hope. These are saved people who already have faith. But He's saying, I want your eyes to be opened even more so that you can see even more, so that you can experience even more of the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparable great power for who? For us who believe. This is what Paul is praying for the believing Ephesian church. And this is what I'm contending for. I'm not contending for the Holy Spirit at salvation, I know we have the Holy Spirit at salvation. I'm contending that there is more. And now I want, to, I want to just blow our hair back a little bit more. And I want to tell you that I don't care how and where and what we, how we receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not fussed on the details. Because I believe that there's not just a second filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a second, then a third, then a fourth, then a fifth, then a two hundred, then a two thousandth filling of the Holy Spirit. I see in Scripture the ongoing baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that some people receive this right at the moment of salvation. Boom. 
I speak to some of my friends, and this is what happened. They are saved. They experience the Spirit in the same moment. Others, five minutes later, where people are praying for them. Others, a year later. My gran, 46 years old, comes to Jesus, a, a staunch Catholic, being actively encouraged not to read the Bible, that the priest was the only person qualified to read and interpret the Word of God to you, is down at the dam playing her harpsichord. Do you know what that is? The thing where you push the buttons and you've got that thing on your thumb and you play, it's got like different chords. Playing her harpsichord. She's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and begins speaking in a strange language. She doesn't know what is happening to her. She hasn't gone and read it and had people laying hands on her and putting their foot behind and trying to trip her and all the other nonsense that we see. And I know there's nonsense around this, right? But filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, my grandfather takes her and is so shaken by what's happened, he doesn't know what to do. He puts her in a convent for two weeks. He looks after six children and leaves her in the convent for six weeks. For two weeks. Asking them, help! I don't know what's happened to my wife. Maybe they can, he asks them, maybe they can, if I've got the details right, cast a demon or something out. And my grand says, this thing that has happened to me is the most powerful experience I have ever lived in. So I, I'm not contending for one way. I'm not contending. I think the Spirit deals with us so uniquely, so gently, so beautifully in our personality, in the way that He works to us. Some people just read the Word of God and they're baptized. Others need others around them laying on hands and crying out to God. And in that moment, something of the Spirit falls. And, 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 and that's maybe just the initial one. And then I think that in our lives, we filled again and again and again again. I most often feel the infilling for me when I'm reading God's Word and my heart starts to burn. I feel sometimes when I read the Word of God, my heart burns and I want to just shout. Sometimes I do. I go out in the vineyard and I just shout to the top of my lungs. Sometimes it's when I'm in prayer and I just feel a fresh infilling. I feel power and I'm not after, because you know me, I'm not after the experience, but let me tell you why this is so important as we close. For us at One Hope. Why, why am I going on about this? If it's just about the experience, that's wonderful. But there's so much. God has been speaking to us about expecting more. About expecting more. This is our, this is our whole year theme. And we've been speaking specifically this year around evangelism. But if we... My concern is that we run Alpha... And we, we encourage you and we use human means to, to do this and or we, we start in the spirit and then we step into human means. And my concern is that we begin to evangelize out of some sense of guilt or some sense of condemnation or some sense of group pressure or whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm crying out, Lord, the thing that energizes us for godly evangelism is the power of your spirit. I don't want plan B, human effort. I'm saying I want the power of your spirit to so come on Petey that Petey can't keep his mouth shut. That's how I want evangelism. To happen, not because we, we taught you the five steps, and the five steps are important. Okay, don't I don't want to throw baby in bath, you know, the whole thing. But, but what energizes us to confidently share our faith with, with grace instead of judgment, with mercy instead of our friends feeling like they're being accused? It's the, it's the oil of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. What what fuels true generosity in our hearts? It's not a preach on tithing. It's not. God can use that as a catalyst. I understand that. God can, will, will do that. But the Holy Spirit has to come and take whatever's preached and birth something inside of us. And suddenly we find that we can't stop blessing people around us. And I'm just using generosity, financial generosity. It could be with your words, where you're just a person who goes from being a critical so-and-so, and no one's ever good enough, whether you're in front of them or not, to suddenly being a person who's generous with your words. And your wife blossoms, and your friendships blossom, because all of a sudden you're speaking life and joy and hope. God needed to speak to me about this last year. I'm a high expectation kind of personality and I put it on my kids and I put it on my wife and the Lord came and just <laughs> gave me some slaps out of the book of John I needed it but I needed the Holy 
spirit because guys, sad pictures are only going to make us give so much. Arguments about race and segregation and, and Black Lives Matter, they're only going to make us engage so much. And then what? In three months? In six months? And maybe you've made, like me, a whole bunch of lockdown resolutions. Maybe you've looked at your life and reevaluated what's important, what priorities do I need to have, how we actually spend my time, how I want to invest in my children, how I want to spend my evenings. Um, I don't know if anyone else has repented for wasteful spending habits as I've realized how little as a family we can actually live on. And it's, it's evoked a repentance in my heart to say, God, I'm sorry. I, I, and then lockdown ends and we find our diaries filling up and our lives going back to this unsustainable social space, we go back to our jobs and we find the same old habits waiting for us on the desk. What keeps us fueled? What keeps us fueled? And I'm contending that it's the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit at work in those of us who already believe. The, the Holy Spirit, Kate Kate and I were talking about this this week, and she said it's like oil. And I thought, what a perfect metaphor. Because oil fuels, it can burn in little lamps or in fuel in your car. It's a fuel, and oil is a lubricant. Do you ever feel like in your life you, you, your gearbox is just full of sand, if you get my metaphor? And the Holy Spirit just can come in and lubricate those things. Okay, I want to, I want to end off there. Is that helpful? I actually think, I'm not going to pin my colors to the mast quite yet. I need to still talk this through with our eldership team. But I think that early next year, I'd love to do a full series on the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's just such a misunderstood, difficult space. We actually, I just feel like we robbed. We robbed because it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. So let's do this. Can I, can I ask as we close that we respond in prayer? Just where you are, maybe Bernie, will you come and sing us a song, and Jen, come and come sing us a song, but can we pray for fresh desire in our hearts? I'll give you a few, and then you add some, but for me, I'm praying, God, would you put a fresh desire in me for more of you? I want more of the promise of the Father. The good Father promised this to me. I want it, God. I want it. Pray for those of you who've never experienced this. Some of you might say, Paul, I've come to faith, but I've never really experienced any working of the Holy Spirit in my life. I think we just pray. We just say, Father, would you do that? Would you do that in our midst? I want to pray for those of you who have experienced this, but who feel like you haven't for a very, very long time. And I want to ask that God would awaken that again. And then I want to pray for a deep, ongoing, equipping, empowering, sin-shattering, ministry-empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I do that? Why don't you just, for a few moments, a few minutes, if you guys would just sing a song over us, if we could just sit and just respond, nothing dramatic. I'm not going to pray right now. I'll pray in a few minutes' time. But let's just respond to the Spirit.
Father, my prayer for this week, our lives. Father, would you awaken in us a fresh desire for the work of the Spirit in our lives. As we face our brokenness, as we face our sin, Father, we desperately need your oil of grace in the sandy gearbox of our lives, Lord. We need the oil of power. How many times, Lord, have we faced that thing in our lives and said it's the last time? Don't want to do that again. As Paul so powerfully says, things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I find myself not doing. God, out for your empowering, Lord Jesus. Worship you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you could confidently say, it's better for you, it's better for you that I go, because I'm going to send you an advocate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Over these weeks, Lord, I just ask for your Spirit to press into our lives. Would we be aware of Him, seeking Him, asking, desiring, I think of Acts 2 and Peter standing up and speaking to all those men and women straight after the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. And he says, this is what was promised for us and for our children and for their children. I think of him saying it, your young men will prophesy and your old men and your slaves and your free and the men and the women. And it's just the most beautiful scripture. That prophecy out of Joel chapter 2 is the most beautiful scripture of how indiscriminately your spirit falls upon us. Every race, every demographic, every personality. in us, Lord.
last thing I want to say, and I just feel like it would be amiss to not point out that the main reason that Jesus says it's better for you that I go is what Jesus is yet to do when he says that. It's like in, in I think it's John 6 or John 7 where Jesus compares himself to the living water. It says he had the great feast. He stood up and raised his voice and he, he shouted and said, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Anyone who would drink, come to me. And then the, the author says, he said this about the Holy Spirit who was not yet poured out. So if people had come to him and said, well, I want that living water, he would have had to say, well, not quite yet. So the reason that it's so powerful Jesus says it's better for you that I go because it means that in his going is the death. In his going is the taking on our sins. In his going is the resurrection power, is the ascension. The most incredible gifts that God has stored up for his people were in the going of Jesus in the death of Jesus and the primary goal of the Holy Spirit is not for the personal goosebumps as wonderful as they are it's not for that it's to glorify and magnify Jesus again and again he says look at your Savior who died for you Again and again, he says, look, he was resurrected from the dead. The same power which lives in him now lives in you. And he magnifies and glorifies and lifts up Jesus again and again and again. So, Father, as we close this morning, we do that too. We come and we want to look at Jesus and we want to ask for more of the Spirit, more of the magnifying power and the more of the, the magnifying lens of the Spirit as He exalts Jesus again and again in our hearts and our minds. We bless you for your sacrifice. We bless you for what you've done. 